The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do you ever wonder why some people beat a path to one brand but not the others? What is it about their customer experience that is so remarkable? To answer those questions, Simon T. Bailey. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you again. Hey, man, it is so good to have you here because you are truly a visionary in this whole area. Your background, everything that you've done has been so extraordinary, starting with Disney and, and even before that. You're a remarkable person. Why is it that some brands are so much more remarkable than others? You know, what, what is it? Is there something in particular? Brands understand that customer service is a department, but customer love is a mindset. Oh. And if they're not loving their customers, <laughs> they might as well close up shop. There's people that work in companies and then there's the corporation. And a lot of people have trouble separating those things. What does company love look like? I've never heard that one before, you know? We don't associate love with corporations. No, most people don't. But you look at Southwest Airlines and their whole brand is built on love, L-U-V. And it seems to be working quite well for them because they own their category. I was talking with Dan Kathy, who is the CEO of Chick-fil-A, the son of the founder, Truett. And I said, Dan, I was awake during the math class, but help me, how is it that Chick-fil-A makes more money per square foot than anybody else in the quick service space and you're closed on Sunday? And he said, Simon, we don't sell chicken. We hire the best people and the best people create the experience for us to sell chicken. And it was just that little shift in they put the people first. So they are very intentional about how they hire, how they train, and how they retain their employees first. Because think about it, at Chick-fil-A, that engagement is maybe two to three minutes. But in that two to three minutes, that person says, what's your name? And at the end of the transaction, they say, my pleasure. And that bookend is because they felt the love from the company first, they extend it to the customer. 
So, you know, it's funny. I went to uh, Chick-fil-A, I think in Florida, or kind of in your neighborhood somewhere, uh, you know, yeah. once or twice. And, and I don't remember it being spectacular. I'm going to have to go back and pay more attention. I might not have been paying attention, but everybody raves about that company. So what is it? Is it because they have religious roots? I mean, does it come from the religious thing or is it something else going on for them? I think it's not just the, the spiritual aspect. They are a $10 billion business that focuses on getting the little things right every single day. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. If you ever go to Atlanta, they have a place called The Hatch. And The Hatch is their R&D place, research and development, where they're thinking 10 years into the future. So I was just there a few months ago, and they began to say, Simon, what would it be like to have a restaurant without walls? And I said, what's driving this thinking? They said, because we have to look differently as a restaurant in a world of Grubhub, Uber Eats, all these doorstep delivery options, what are we going to look like 10 years from now? So they're already thinking about 2030 right now. And it's because of that thinking every single day. They are one of the first restaurants to have people that have iPads out on the drive through and they take your order from an iPad and can collect your money and will bring the food to you. You don't have to get to, they'll bring it to your car. So they're taking time out of the equation, which increases the customer experience. Yeah, you know, a big chain here is In-N-Out. In-N-Out does the same thing. I just think it's respectful to the customers. So part of that customer experience is the customer feels respected, that the company respects their time, the company respects their business. I didn't really think about it the way you're describing it, but that's an interesting perspective. So what's another company that does a great job respecting their customers? Well, if you've ever taken WestJets, WestJets is the Southwest equivalent in Canada. And WestJet, they have taken a page out of what Southwest does by being a little snarky, fun, with a Canadian twist. But they are on time, if you look at their ratings, and their customer service is spot on. And what they've understood, from the time you are in this aluminum tube in the sky, How do they create an experience by engaging you in the way you want to be engaged? And it's just those little things where they'll say something funny. You're like, oh, my goodness, even while they're describing all the safety things. But they'll do it in a snarky way. And you are howling and laughing for that time that you're there. And even as they serve you, you know, during your flight, it's just a different type of experience here at WestJet. It's a great brand there in Canada. Do you think it's easier for... These companies that are smaller, more upstart companies to be that way. And and then by the time they get to be United Airlines and Delta and America, they just kind of lose that peppiness. You know what? They absolutely can, but they don't have to lose the peppiness. It can be a part of their culture. And what really drives great customer service is the culture, no matter if they're small, medium, or large, because culture is really consistency. How do you do it every single day? And it starts at the very top of the food chain and flows all the way down, and then from the bottom all the way up. I can imagine being the CEO of one of these big companies, and they're saying, you know, I don't want to let my people go off the script because somebody's going to go rogue and they're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And these giant companies are like military operations. I mean, they're giant armies of people. And how do you give somebody enough latitude to work with the customer in a good way, but at the same time, kind of keep them in the lanes? You know how the children go bowling, the little bowling bumpers, you know? You kind of want to keep the people between the bumpers, right? How do you give them latitude, but at the same time, kind of keep them inside the lane? Hire for attitude, train for success. 
training does not fix what management or HR doesn't catch. That's number one. You've got to be intentional about how you hire people. Then number two, if you've hired the right person, how do you orient them to be successful inside your culture? And then number three, give them financial intelligence. Teach them how the organization makes money. Give them boundaries, parameters. Let them know, hey, here's how far you can go, but here's why you do it, and we'll let you figure out the how. Because if they got the first step right, they're going to say, okay, the company trusts me enough to do the right thing. Let's take Nordstrom's, for example. Nordstrom's doesn't have a rule book that says, here are the 10 things you need to do. No. Nordstrom's has one customer experience rule. Are you ready for it? Ready. Use your best judgment. How smart is that? Use your best judgment. So if they've hired right, use your best judgment in the moment. So quick story. A person goes to Nordstrom, says, I bought something here from another Nordstrom's out of town. Guess what? We will be happy to take that and refund your money. No questions asked. Not, I got to go and talk to my manager. I got to check this, fill out this form. Are you kidding me? That withdrawals from the customer experience. Use your best judgment. I have this image of this iceberg, you know, the tip of the iceberg sticks out. In a funny way, the customer experience is only the tip of the iceberg. The truth is what I'm hearing you say is that the training and the hiring and all the other stuff, the internal stuff is really the foundation that makes the whole thing work. So how does a big company hire people with a good attitude? I mean, I've got my idea about it, but how do you identify that somebody's got a good attitude in an interview? Number one, find out their last place of business if they've worked someplace and find out what was that experience like with their boss? Because within every company, there's a culture, but then there's a subculture. If they throw that boss under the bus and say, I hate it working for that leader, guess what? They're going to do the same at your place of business and you don't want that person. The second thing is you want to invite that person to say, tell me of a time when you went the extra inch. Now, why is that important? There are six inches between your right ear and your left ear, left ear and your right ear. You just don't want to hire somebody to do customer service. You want to hire somebody that will think on their feet about how do I go the extra inch? And that's exactly any of the great brands that we were to name, that's what they do. I think the third thing, it's not enough to hire them, but within the first 90 days, and this is what Ritz Carlton does, they ask that person, what do you see? You've been here for 90 days. You've come from another place of business. What is it that you see that we can be doing better? So the companies that really get it right, they're going to that person that they just hired and they said, how do we get better? But then they don't stop there. They have ongoing training and development, not once a week, not once a month, daily. Repetition for reinforcement. Harvard says people have to hear something four to five times before it sinks in. So you got to constantly, constantly go over the little things because they're important. You know, it seems to me that employees hold so much information and companies, is just they don't tap into it. And I don't know if it's arrogance. I don't know if it's the lawyers telling the senior management what to do. And there's a treasure trove of information that just never gets tapped. Why? Why do you think? Because companies don't set up listening posts. They don't set up an opportunity for employees to perhaps go online, post an idea, make a suggestion. They think all the ideas have to come from the top or the smartest people in the room. Really, all the ideas come from the bottom up. So every company listening to us must realize that frontline is the bottom line because they hold some of the secrets to your breakthrough. You know, one of the things you don't always say is that the hallmark of a great idea 
is that it gets bigger with every person who touches it. So the truth is that you should let your idea out of the bag and then ask people to comment. And if nobody's commenting, you're going in the wrong direction. Totally. And if everybody's commenting, then you've got a winner. That was always how I thought about the venture capital business is that I'd put a little idea out there and if people grabbed onto it and talked about it, then it was something that was worth it. And otherwise, uh, you know, it's never going anywhere. What about a lot of these companies? You know, you, you talk about the HR person when they're interviewing somebody on the way in, they ask them these questions. I mean, a lot of these employees that I've seen, and my experience may not be representative like yours, but it just seems like a lot of these people are so bored in their job and they're so, they're just counting the days till they retire. Should they be moving people around from different departments, even though that's not efficient? I mean, what can companies do to prevent employees from becoming snarky themselves, kind of unfriendly and, and really unable to judge future people? Number one, they should create something called iFriday. Once a quarter, create what I would call Innovation Friday. And this is not originates with me. It's something that I discovered with a company I was working with called Dunhumby. On a, on a Friday, once a quarter, they take all of their employees and they have them go and work in a different department. Now, that seems a bit chaotic, but stick with me for a moment. Why would you do that? Well, first of all, a person goes into a department they've never worked in before, and they will say, why do you do a certain thing? And that person that they're working with, he or she will say, we do it, and here's why. Well, the twofold benefit, that person is stretched, but on Monday morning, they go back to their regular job and they say, guess what? On Friday, I discovered that this other department, other division does X, Y, Z. What if, and that's what every CEO wants that employee to have that what if question, what if we did it this way? What if we tried it another way? That's the first thing. The second thing is the reason people become stale in their jobs is they come in as a cheetah, I'm a hippo. So the cheetah is very agile, swiftest hunter in Africa. It can turn on a dime. But a hippo knows where the bodies are buried, knows where the landmines are, knows how to get things done that are not necessarily written down. So whatever company has to do is put the cheetahs and the hippos together so that those that are new to the organization that don't have the institutional knowledge of the hippos, the, the cheetahs can rub off on the hippos and the hippos can say, we tried that but I'm open to trying something new. And what happens is it invites each person to experience integrated learning. So in every organization, you must have a learning culture. And then the third thing is, what problem have we been created to solve? That's why people get bored, because they're not solving problems. They're just kind of there, the lights are on, but nobody's at home. Smaller companies, 25, 50, 100 employee companies, they kind of have a sense about what each other's doing. The bigger the company gets, obviously, the more siloed it is, the more independent everybody works. So your idea is an excellent idea. You came from Disney. Is it true that Disney makes their executives pick up trash and do different jobs around the parks and work on the rides? Is that true? Is that how it works, sir? Absolutely. I've worked out in the park as a street sweeper. With a blue smock, a broom, a dustpan in my hand, my job that particular day was sweeping the streets of Sunset Boulevard and interacting with the guests. Another job that I had that I had to get out of my air-conditioned office, I had to go and pour drinks at one of the beverage locations at Magic Kingdom. And I asked the stupid question of one of the cast members, is this what you guys do 
every single day and you smile for the guests. And they looked at me like I had four heads. They're like, yes. And it was very humbling because I begin to understand when you're in Florida pouring sodas in July and you have to smile for the umpteenth guest as if it's the first time you've done it all day, you begin to learn a lot of what the cast members go through. So you as an executive at one of the great companies on the planet, how did that enrich you? How did that make you better at what you do? And how did that help you be better at what you do now? Well, the first thing I learned at Disney, this whole extra inch came from when they taught us about the movie Lion King. In the opening scene of Lion King, Simba sneezes. Now, the average moviegoer would have never noticed the sneeze. But remember, Lion King was pre-Pixar. It took 100 animators time to draw in that sneeze. And it's going that extra inch that the 1% of moviegoers would say, look at what they did. They taught me that. They taught me how do you plus up the experience. And so plussing up the experiences if a family is on, on Main Street USA, child drops the ice cream cone, and it's in the middle of the summer, the best thing you can do is to replace the ice cream cone and not say, I need to go find my manager. How do we create that experience for that customer right then and there on the spot? So they taught me, if you hear it, you own it. Doesn't matter what your title is, get it done. Because this person has probably saved three to five years of their discretionary income to come to Disney for once in a lifetime, and they'll spend about $10,000 in a seven-day stay. So you quickly understand it's on me to create that experience. So tell me, I love that ice cream thing. You know, I mean, if my kid did it and somebody brought a new ice cream, I'd be the happiest guy. I'd be writing blog posts about it. Really, I would. I mean, I agree with you. You know, you talk about 100 animators had to work on this sneeze. And you've got a building full of accountants talking about the cost-benefit analysis. And they're saying, uh, you know, they cost it out. And they say it costs X numbers of dollars to make a one-second sneeze that 1% of the people are going to appreciate. How did Disney reconcile that issue? How did they say, listen, accountants... We'll get back to you. Just let us do what we do. Well, first of all, it was Michael Eisner who really gave the green light to Lion King. And Lion King changed the game for animated movies, if you think about it, because they knew they had a good movie. But they began to say, can this movie have babies? So Lion King became a movie became a stage play, became something that appeared in the park, became merchandise. So a dollar in Disney turns over seven times. So the fact of putting a sneeze in is peanuts when you realize this movie is going to create a whole avalanche of other things that will more than make up for the sneeze. So you're telling me, and this is hard for me to believe, you're telling me that they even get the accountants to see the big picture somehow. Oh my goodness. Listen, listen, even today, believe it or not, at Pixar, the CEO of Pixar requires all employees or cast members, especially accountants, to sit in an art class. Now, and they have to take four hours of ongoing learning and development weekly. So when the CEOs ask the question, why do you have an accountant sitting in an art class? He will tell you because the accountant can no longer say, that's not my customer and I don't feel the customer's pain. They want the accountant to be able to step beyond assets and liability in an art class and see what else is possible. So they really try to open up that right brain and get them thinking creative, obviously staying within compliance, but always keeping a line of sight to the guest, a line of sight to the customer. So I know you've had a couple thousand clients along your illustrious career. Do you advise these people to do this 
interdepartmental dance that you're talking about? And do other companies do this sort of thing? I advise it all the time because here's the thing right now, as you know, in our world, especially here in the United States, there is a war on talent. Employers cannot find enough talent to fill roles. So then the question is, why is that? It's because people become bored at a job if they're not intellectually curious or challenged in a place of business to try something else. So when I go and work in a different department, I ask questions, it stretches me, it grows me, and it helps that company stay vibrant and perhaps hold on to talent. But then the other thing is, that's where the innovation comes through. Innovation is bigger than just, let's come up with the idea. It's about having cognitive diversity where you have a different line of thinking that sees something for the first time because they've never experienced it before. And all of a sudden it becomes the Vuja day. It becomes, whoa, what's that? That's what organizations have to have if they're going to have a great customer experience. I see two sides of this. The company has to be open to doing this shuffle that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But then I can imagine a room full of accountants or a room full of attorneys or a room full of people that aren't used to going into art class saying, what, what, what are you doing pushing me into an art class? So the company has to buy in and the employees have to buy in. Is that a hard dance? It is, but it's something that's really discussed up front, even before they hire the employee by saying, hey, we're hiring you for XYZ skill set, but we might add plus, plus, plus. Are you open to that? And that person will say yay or nay. Now, we realize that there are some disciplines in business, accountants, your attorneys that have specific codes of ethics and rules and regulations that they have to stick with. We get that. But then beyond that, that's where it gets really fun because they get to bring their thinking and learn and grow. Well, what's interesting is that accountants have a certain way they think, not about numbers. There's just a certain way that people look at numbers. There's mm -hmm. a certain way attorneys look at things. There's a certain way that HR professionals look at things. There's a certain way that every discipline attacks a problem. And when you put multidisciplinary situations together, you end up with a result that you can't imagine. And that can only be a good thing. Totally. Right? Totally. Absolutely. I totally, I'm with you. I think it's a, this is a very cool thing. So are there companies that, uh, that have adopted this multidisciplinary kind of approach that you've seen? And have you seen improvement in these companies? Yeah, I've seen some companies' names that I will not mention just because of the confidentiality of what they're doing. But when they have implemented, let's just be honest, some have crashed and burned, okay? And the reason they sometimes crash and burn is because the executive that gave the green light to try it, he or she moves on into another opportunity. And because there was not an exec champion to carry the torch, then it died an early death, right? But for those that get it right, it's because they have a multitude of executive champions, but not just executive champions. They have men and women who lead without a title, who say, you know what? The organization has transferred psychological ownership to me I'm going to influence my peer group that here's true north. Here's where we need to go and here's why we need to do it and how will we get it done. And it's those companies that really understand breakthroughs in any experience come from the bottom up, not from the top down. And when you have champ, it creates sustainability long-term. The whole thing that I'm hearing really is leadership without titles. Yeah. When you have somebody at Disney that says, I'm going to give you a free ice cream replacement cone. I could be the guy that's sweeping up the mess and I'm going to make this happen for you. That person is taking responsibility way above his pay grade, but that is exactly the perfect thing to do from the perspective of the customer experience. Exactly. So 
I struggle with how difficult that must be for CEOs and other people to allow to happen, but I also see the great benefit of making it happen. Well, I've got one better for you. Ritz-Carlton gives its employees two thousand dollars up to two thousand dollars to fix those problems so one of their stories which is not an urban legend a true story a guest was staying at the ritz carlton boston left his laptop in the room got on a plane flew to hawaii and the housekeeper finds the laptop and the housekeeper said hey i am going to fly to hawaii true story return the guy's laptop because I have up to $2,000 to spend. And the question was asked, why didn't you just send it to him? And the housekeeper said, I didn't trust FedEx. Now, granted, she may have got a little vacation out of it, but she felt empowered to take this guy his laptop. Now, think about this. What do you think it did for that guy? Do you think he's still loyal at Ritz-Carlton? He was freaked out, guaranteed. And he probably tells a few people that story, which Ritz-Carlton does not send him a check at the end of the year for his free advertisement. So it's once employees see that they are the owners of the experience within parameters, they look for way to create that experience. You know, one of the things that is obvious here is that some things are hard to measure. Totally. And we're kind of in a world where what gets measured gets done and, yep. you know, all, all that other kind of stuff. But you can't measure somebody being mad. You can't really measure somebody being happy, like how much more business comes from somebody. Maybe they can sort of measure that, but they certainly can't measure a mad person. Like Because accounting doesn't measure lost opportunities. Right. It, it doesn't do that. And so I, I wonder, is there any kind of a system that companies have that helps them to, to actually know how much value... A, like seven, you mentioned seven to one Disney's turnover money. They got all these little babies coming out of their products and things. Is there any way to know what the value of doing good is? Yeah. So a lot of companies use the net promoter score. And I say a lot, many use the net promoter score and they'll say on a five point scale, what is the likelihood that you will recommend this business? Well, some companies have taken a step further uh, and I'll use uh, Kroger as an example. So Kroger has discovered when a grocery shopper gives them a four, that means that they came to the grocery store, found everything that they needed. But when they receive a five, it's because an associate of Kroger interacted with that customer while they were in the store. And because of that interaction, they've been able to measure that sometimes that person will buy more, they'll spend more, they'll come back again because of that positive interaction with that customer. I was just with Shell uh, yesterday. Uh, Shell, as you know, has gas stations all over the world. And one of the things that Shell is all about is from the moment people pull up on the lot, how are they engaged and what they discovered if they are a loyalty member of Shell, that person will come in and always buy their gas from that location. So businesses have got to say, oh my goodness, loyalty does drive a bottom line. Not only do you get repeat, but they buy other things. How do you create loyalty and brand experience in a commodity environment like a gas station? First I mean, all, Disney yeah. it, Disney is a special thing. I mean, sure. like that's a family activity and it's, a, it's recreation, it's entertainment. But your gas station where you do this uh, once or twice or more a week, yep. you probably are not happy about the price you got to pay. You're, you're, there's a lot of things you're not happy about when you go to the gas station. They're, they may not be clean. They may not be smell good. You know what? How do they do that? What's the trick at a, 
in, a, in an environment that seems the opposite of an experience? Here are the simple things that are table stakes. First of all, uh, everything speaks from the moment people pull up on the lot. Great, is there great lighting? Is it clean? Are the windows clean? Is there a clean bathroom? Is there a person behind the counter that's smiling if they need to go inside? Or if they're having problem at the pump with the chip reader, does the person come out from behind the counter to help them, not just use the intercom and say, here's what you need to do. It's those little things that speak to a person that says, whoa, in this five minute experience, here's what was different. So you're talking about really treating every customer like they're the only customer your company has. Only one. Only when, one. when these companies have literally millions of customers, some companies just do a better job than others. I wish we lived in a world that was more like what you're describing, but there's a lot of companies that seem like they've got a long way to go. It's aspirational, but think about another place is the customer call center or the contact center. You have a person on the other end of the line who's interacting with you because of a product that you've bought. So it's totally doable. Look at Chewy.com. One of the, the folks that we were dealing with told us a story that they got their regular monthly subscription of dog food from Chewy.com, and they forgot to call Chewy.com to cancel the order because their dog had died. They call Chewy.com, 800 number, hey, my dog has died, cancel my subscription. Here's what Chewy.com has empowered their people to do. First of all, they empathize. I'm sorry for your loss. Number two, guess what? We're going to refund your money because your dog is dead. Why are we going to just put that money in the bank when we can just refund it to you? And you think that's the end of the transaction. But the next day, the doorbell rings. And there is a guy at the door to that customer who just canceled their subscription. And at the door is a guy with a sympathy card and flowers from who? Chewy.com. Because if that person gets another pet, where does Chewy want that person to come back to? So every person, if you never meet anybody face-to-face, -face, can take ownership of the customer experience. So the inside track, the best, fastest, and smartest way to to really harness this customer experience the way you're describing it, is they take a long view. I mean, what you're describing is a long view. You know, they, you, don't, you don't have this customer anymore, but they're going to come back someday and probably tell many of their friends. I mean, there's so many things that I've heard you say that they go the extra inch. There's just one thing after the next that these best companies do, these, this interdisciplinary approach and all these things. This has been pretty fascinating. I'm really... It's a whole world that uh, I, I think the world needs to hear more Simon and, and kind of get more just get better because a lot of companies have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But they can do it. They can sustain it if they focus on their culture, if they're intentional about of how they hire their people, and if they shift from communication to connection. And connection looks like how do we really get into storytelling, but also educating people about here's how we make money and why we make money and transfer that ownership to that employee to say, wait a minute, this impacts what I, my pay raise or my bonus. Now it's real for them. Yeah, It's just not a conversation. <laughs> you know, a little bit of transparency goes a long way. If people really understood a little more about their companies, it would go a long way. Well, listen, Simon, you're the man. I appreciate you sharing the inside track helping people to be better at what they do, helping leaders run better companies, which is what our show is all about. So thank you very much. Thank you for being my friend. You're a dear friend and I really value that very much. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Joel. Good to be with you. Great, man.
You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.